Welcome to Hope's Hearth, a GM-less actual play podcast where friends explore identity, community, and the ways people find strength and love in dire situations. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen audio issues, the episodes that were planned for this week and next week cannot be aired. Lindsay's audio was lost, and without it, the episode couldn't be completed. Fortunately, we could hear enough of them for the following summary. The session begins with Lindsay's turn, which made the missing audio very easy to spot. Wanting to engage with the Clintex as environment and the constant construction, a scene was crafted in which a Clintex, objecting to the sounds of nearby construction, temporarily vacated the premises, making the building unsafe to approach from the front. This didn't sit well with Cascade, a co-worker of Eora and Irwin's, who needed to access the building for her work. When she asked a nearby construction worker, a neon green horse-shaped alien, for a path in, he confessed that the back area was blocked by a piece of equipment not shaped for him to be able to use. Literally, I can, I can hop, I can, I, I will be fine if I walk across to the door. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. <laughs> but space, Osha. I don't care about Sposha. I just went in the door to do my job. <sighs> After an argument and a call placed to another construction worker, Cascade finally gave up on negotiation and walked across the latticework left behind after the Clintex who was supposed to be there departed, to the dismay of the construction worker. Cascade's just now, like, got a finger pressed between her eyebrows. You know that thing that people do when they've just got, like, one finger pressed between their eyebrows and the rest of their fingers are splayed out and they're like, I, I, uh, what if I just call out today? What if I just, what if I just don't go into work? What, it'll, Erwin can handle it. It's fine. This is fine. It won't be fine, like, actually, but no, this is fine. It's fine. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm, she pulls out her phone and, like, texts whoever her boss is and is like, or rather, the, the wrist pad fucking Pip-Boy-ass thing just fucking shoots a message to her boss, like, I can't get in the building, I'm going home, I'm gonna work from my home computer, the labs can wait, it, they won't die because they're cultures, so it's fine. <laughs> Tokens were awarded to the written herb, who were determined to be the owners of the facility Cascade needed to access, and to the entity overseeing construction in Hearth City as a general whole. Will's scene followed, and A asked for someone to play Long John Silver so A could have both the pirate and Sophia in the same scene. Lindsay volunteered for the role, and the Bone God participated as well. So, you know those, um, those, those pictures of cork boards with lots of photos and newspaper clippings and yarn and push pins. Uh, Sophia has made an entire floor be one of those. In this scene, Long John Silver brings the bone god to Sophia so they can talk about the oddity of the dogs all turning to look in the same direction at a specific time each day. We discover that Sophia has a room of weird in which she has placed photographs taken of dogs at that time. The floor is roughly a map of Hearth City. And at the center of the room, and, and this is in like a, a, a currently disused classroom, it's currently disused because there's a hole in the ceiling. The center of the room has a little like a snow globe in it 
but it's an auto-agitating snow globe, so it looks vaguely like the Stardust Fountain. And there are just photographs of dogs on the floor. Everywhere. And Sophia is running some yarn from one photograph to another photograph. It is red. The photos have details on them that include information such as the date and which Clintex Sophia stood on to take the picture, introducing a new system of defining location that, sadly, we don't revisit. The pictures are all dated. Um, like, they're physical, you know, Polaroids with dates scrawled. And, like, they have, I would say, GPS, but it's it's absolutely not a gps they have referen- they have references to which clintex they're standing on the pictures are connected by strings and are set all around a snow globe which is standing in for the hole the stardust pours from sophia asks long john silver and the bone god to see if any of the dogs they saw from the memorial garden have been captured in one of sophia's photos how many dogs did you see in the memorial garden? Um, there were 11 that I could see. You're, you have a different viewpoint from John. Uh, do you recognize any of them in these photographs? Gestures to, like the entire room. Long John Silver walks amongst the photos, collecting those that pertain with effortless grace, while the Bone God chooses to climb up the wall and then the ceiling in a move that Dolene don't and might not be able to use in order to avoid disturbing Sophia's work. With a bit of spare yarn from Sophia, the Bone God drops yarn on the photos of dogs it saw. So what, um, while this is happening, what Bone God does is, um, Asks Sophia very quietly for the yarn. Um, and then... So you know how, um, like, green anoles and geckos will, like, skitter over walls? Yes? <laughs> so Bone God kind of, like... Uh, uh, uh... Po- like... It, this is kind of a very, like, if this were animated, it, it's very reminiscent of, like, uh, a, a Ghibli movie, um, where, like, it's, like, head and, like, arms and, like, upper part of its torso kind of shift into the room. Oh, why is it getting longer? <laughs> it, it, it kind of latches onto the wall and, like pulls itself more in and it it's it's now one of the Dolene uh and like kind of basically encompasses the room in this way and like moves around on the walls so it doesn't mess up what's on the floor and takes like snippets of yarn and like drops it on the photos of the other dogs and also drops some yarn on Long John Silver's stacks <laughs> The trio speculate that the dogs may be turning towards the hole in the center of town. The Bone God is finally formally introduced to both Sophia and Long John Silver, but flees when Sophia asks it if it knows about the hole that has opened up in the center of town. Thank you, um, Sophia says, and then, like, starts 
like looking at the pictures and um <clears throat> making notes on a pad of paper that she produces from inside her shell. Where were they facing? Toward the and then she waves at the snow globe. Yes. They they were facing towards the center of town where the hole is. Do you know anything about the hole? This this silence is is in character. <laughs> they don't say anything. <laughs> and then they skitter out of the room. <laughs> like they they skitter like onto the ceiling and climb like out of the door that way. <laughs> I'm going to note none of them have ever seen a Dolene do this. <laughs> Not saying that Dolene can't do this. None of them have seen a Dolene do this. You know, Sophia says to Long John Silver, some people say I'm weird. As the scene ends, a picture of a dog, dated from the future, appears in Sophia's room of weird. A token was awarded to the Bone God. The third scene is Amber's. In it, Shiwei goes to the part of the memorial garden meant for people who have no graves to visit. But what if plants but sad? I like where this is going. I also like where this is going. Please continue. Um, so Shiwei is going to go to the memorial gardens. They have uh, a nice little bouquet of flowers. They get to like this, this little like makeshift uh, stone platform, and they put the little flowers uh, down really gently, and unwrap them and start uh, arranging them into this like little makeshift vase that's there. And then they pull a locket out of uh, their pocket and lay it on the stone. Can I add a detail? Yes. It is pleasantly sunny. Like, in the kind of way that, like, the plant people like to, like, sit outside in. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's very pleasant and nice. Can I add another detail? Uh, yes. I think, uh, there is a minute outpouring of stardust you can't quite pick out where it's coming from um in fact it's almost like it's just kind of appearing out of thin air um but it's very gently swirling around the flowers and the locket oh jeez you made it sadder, Danielle. Why you gotta make it sad? You've played with Danielle before. This is just how they work. <laughs> Shiwei brings offerings for loved ones lost. Their offering is a locket that has personal significance and some flowers, both of which seem to attract the stardust coming from the hole in the center of town. The dogs and cats have proved this. Well, now I'm just gonna add that detail. There's a cat. It's just, it's it's chilling on the stone, just sunning itself in the nice sun. 
There's cats that watch over the garden. Oh, jeez. So precious. Um, so, uh, Jiwei sits there for a while, uh, and they seem to be in, like, a, a meditative-esque, uh, state for a bit. Um, and while they're doing this, the stardust kind of swirls around them more. Uh, and when they start to come out of it, uh, the, the stardust starts to kind of dissipate. The solo scene ends quietly, and a token is awarded to the location. Danielle's turn is next and finds Erwin in a tree in the medicinal gardens, trying to catch a poison frog with cyan patches on it. I think Erwin is sat up in a tree? On one of, like, the lower branches. Of course um, he is. Of course he is. And is, uh, he's not just sitting on the branch. He's, like, lying on his belly across the branch with one of his arms out, trying to convince a frog to come to him. While he is engaged in this task, Aurora, recently recovered from her celiac issues, pauses to admire him until the branch he's on breaks and he falls out of the tree. I think I think it's one of those things where, like, it, he has a good grip on the tree, but, uh, like, one of the branches that he's bracing one of his feet against breaks, um, and it, uh, sets off his whole balance, and so he just kind of, like, slides off of the branch and onto the ground, lands on his back. Ugh. A frog jumps on him. Oh, there you are! <laughs> The frog he was trying to catch lands on his stomach. Yeah, he cups his hand over the frog on his stomach uh, gently so that it doesn't hop away. Um, and uh, takes a few seconds to uh, regain his ability to breathe because the fall knocked the wind out of him. Um, <laughs> oh, buddy. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, when, once once he can breathe again, um, he blinks a little bit. Uh, Aurora comes into focus. Uh, uh, and he says, Yeah, I mean... <laughs> he looks up at the, at the tree thoughtfully. That can't have been, what, eight feet? I'm fine. <laughs> Is he? Is he fine? <laughs> Aurora helps Erwin up, and another frog lands in his hair. You think that he's not thinking about it because he doesn't want to take your hand up, but because he's trying to figure out how to take your hand up without squishing the frog. <laughs> uh, but he figures it out, and uh, he takes Aurora's hand um, and climbs gingerly to his feet. Um, rocks his shoulders back and forth a little bit to see what is and is not broken. Uh, another frog, like, drops from the tree onto his head, on Erwin's head. This one <laughs> has a cyan patch. Ooh. Uh, Erwin tries to go cross-eyed to look at the frog, but cannot. Because um, it's on top of his head. Because it's on top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> the frog just, like, ribbits and chills there. Good. 
She removes the frog, attempting to flirt, only for Erwin to sweet-talk the frog and tell her frog facts. Cyan frogs are only poisonous when eaten, it turns out. His eyes light up, and he he carefully, like, cups the frog and brings it up to, like, to in between their faces. Um, and he says, yeah, 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 look at this. Um, and he, he carefully uncovers the frog so that it doesn't spook and jump away. Um, and uh, he says, uh, first of all, these frogs are great. The frog ribbits. <laughs> <laughs> they they only seem to live here in the medicinal garden. I don't know where they came from. But even weirder than that is you see like this patch here and he kind of like points gingerly to a patch on the frog's back. The buffalo have the same patches. While they're talking, a frog with an orange patch jumps onto Erwin's foot, and its loud croak startles Aurora into dropping the cyan frog, which Erwin catches. Erwin <laughs> leans real close. Aw, look at how beautiful! You're such a pretty frog. Ribbit. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you're gorgeous, don't you? Ribbit. <laughs> Erwin <laughs> blinks up sheepish sheepishly and is like Oh I'm sorry, you're also very pretty. <laughs> oh, In the course of conversation, Erwin mentions knowing Cascade, who was a fairly regular client of Aurora's. And the mention allows Aurora to connect Erwin to Cascade's frustrated stories about him. Aurora tries to figure out if Erwin enjoys pain, but he doesn't really get it. She gives him her business card and leaves. I think the last shot is just of him, like... Very carefully, like, just putting his heel of one shoe on the ground. Yes. He walks to keep the frog from going away. Yes, and walking <laughs> after the cyan frog. Because th this 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 poor himbo did not bring frog cages. Nope. <laughs> he was We're like, "I'll just look at the frog where it sits on its perch. It'll be fine." Nope. No tokens are awarded to the medicinal gardens and cascade. Izzy's scene is the final one, and it involves the bone god in the memorial gardens being led by Stardust. Sorry, I I wasn't expecting anybody to be. Here. Hi. Uh, hello? Uh, yeah. Um, I <laughs> just like, oh god, like awkwardly, like, how do I introduce myself? <laughs> Tapping, like, uh, even in plant form, Bone God still has four arms, because that's just a constant, mm -hmm. as well as the markings. Mm -hmm. Mostly because it likes having four arms, it's much more convenient. It's fair. <laughs> and like taps the 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 the, the uh, fingers, quote unquote, of the secondary hands together uh, nervously, and and then just decides to introduce itself. Except in the plant language, bone god isn't like a, a phrase that is easily translatable. I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it who persists is. Jiwei is like, hello, I am Jiwei. Uh. Bogod, like, 
inclines its head uh, in a very like not plant gesture for like acknowledgement um and says that it like it's um it is a pleasure to to meet you Jiwei. I'm sorry for interrupting your private time. Oh, no, no, it, it's it's okay. Uh I come here a lot. Uh it's just unusual to to have someone else here. It's that that yes, I I agree with that statement. It is unusual to find someone else in these gardens. The gardens tend to like to keep people apart. They exchange small talk before a Clintex cat appears, calling out to Bone God. After a moment, Bone God will ask, um, what, what brought you to the memorial gardens today? Oh, just visiting someone from the past. Ah. This is where the bone god like ah emotions. <laughs> Don't know how to handle this. Um, I think uh, bone god asks, would would you like me to leave you alone, or would you like um company and someone to talk to? Sounding super unsure of itself. You have someone too, right? That that's why you're here. Uh <laughs> um, uh god sort of looks around at it not not in like a, a confused way, but like in a in a like a thinking kind of way. Um and and says in a way i have many people here but they are not people who were mine in the personal sense jiwei scolds it for not having an offering and offers to share what did i forget oh no oh no <laughs> Know that moment, very Neville Longbottom. Like I can't remember what I've forgotten. Did did you bring your offering? I I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> like I don't usually bring offerings. That's unusual. Um, here, 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 I have a, I have an extra one. Joy uh, <laughs> is going to put a a small uh, crystallisk rock in your hand. Then Bone God kind of like looks at it, looks at Jiwei, looks at the Clintex cat, looks back at the crystal, and then it's like, "Thank you." Uh, no problem. The cat deliberately shows Jiwei affection for reverence shown in the garden before leading the bone god to the hole in the center of town. I, I have this image in my head of the cat, like, leading bone god to the cave. And, like, as bone god, like, passes out of Jiwei's line of sight, we see, like, a brief flash of the very 
large creature that Erwin saw in his dream. And then we see the more humanoid, kind of human, kind of Dolene look with the robes. Then, and that that image walks through to the hole, and we get like flashes as as Bone God is walking past different people of how they see Bone God. And depending on the race, or if they know Bone God. Like, if they know Bone God already, they see this humanoid form. If they do not know who that is, they see a version of Bone God that is of, like, their species. And then, standing in front of the hole with the stardust, I think, like, some of the stardust, like, flows around Bone God, and we see, again, that very large creature with the flames before Bone God, like, steps into the hole, and then that's the end of the scene. Following the scene, it is decided that Hearth City has been fleshed out enough to move on. Next up is Things Eldritch and Terrifying, and then after that will be Flotsam. I've been Danielle. If you want to hear more of my voice, I can be found on The Room Where It Happened, which is an actual play podcast, and can be found on Twitter at RoomWherePod, and on Dumb Kids Playing Hero, which is an Animorphs-inspired actual play podcast, and can be found on Twitter at DKPHPod. I can also be found in the Hope's Hearth Discord, which you should join and which is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this recap, and I hope you're excited for next week.